Hello and welcome to Words, the Bee Gees podcast. I'm Cristiano and I'm here with Stuart, my dad. Hello. So today we are discussing 1967's Bee Gees First. We are at the beginning of 1967. The Bee Gees have just arrived in the UK from Australia. I think it was February, wasn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, right. In February. And they go into the studios about March time. I think they start with a song from the Australian years, Town of Tuxedo. That's it. It's a, a song by Billy... Well, it's a, the singer is Billy J. Kramer. I think he did a few sort of early Beatles songs back in sort of 63, 64. Mm-hmm. I think it was a couple of songs that the Beatles never actually sung themselves. So <laughs> They head into the studios and they start working on what will become Bee Gees first. But let's just take a look first and see what the charts were like in 1967, what the music world was like for the Bee Gees. Well, if they land in February I think number one was I'm a Believer mm-hmm. by the Monkeys, and you also had things like Green Green Grass Tom Jones so the Bee Gees really were coming back to the Green Green Grass as well. <laughs> yeah. and also I found another single actually that I had which was the Seekers Morning Town Ride so what this list of songs are they is there a particular genre here dad are they all sort of soulful songs very poppy but, but, okay. but 67 was the year of psychedelia it's like well probably in 66 the music started to change more progressive music came in as well Tamla Motown became more popular all changed in 67 the album is very much an eclectic mix of pop psychedelia poppy songs but also mixed with some quite unusual ones some very unusual oh, ones definitely yeah definitely as we'll get into so without further ado let's hop straight into the album we'll drop the needle down and opening up side one of Bee Gees first is turn of the century the turn of the century I'm gonna buy myself a time machine go to the turn of the century and all those people passing by and the town crier makes his cry at the turn of the century well immediately I think this is a fantastic opener to the album I think this is definitely a song that sets the formula that the Bee Gees would follow. Uh, The song opening with instruments, and then we have Barry coming in with vocals, then we have the harmonies, and then Robin comes in for the second verse. And this is something that I noticed throughout the album and throughout some later albums. Well, this is a Barry and Robin composition, as are most songs on this album. Now, there's only Every Christian Lionhearted Man and I Close My Eyes, which are written by all three members. With this song, it doesn't outstay its welcome. It sits at about two and a half minutes, just over two minutes. And that's something that carries on throughout this album. And it's quite nice compared to some of their later works into the 90s and with things like High Civilization, where songs linger at about six minutes. It's nice to have songs... And they do, they do go on as well. <laughs> yeah, they, they really do. It's nice to have songs that just come and go and you, to have 14 songs on an album and still have the album under 40 minutes, It's it means that it's quite a nice digestible uh, record to play. Definitely agree with you. I mean, for me, it's it's... I think it's got a bit of a Baroque style to it. This one was one of the first songs they wrote while coming over to the UK from Australia. Some some resources say that it was written in 66. Others seem to say it was written while they was on the boat. I think Barry quotes it in the reissue in 2006, that it is one of the first ones that they wrote. But it's definitely a great start. Well, with regards to the lyrics for this song, I found a quote from Barry, I believe it was from the same book from the 2006 reissue, where he says how... 
They were very much inspired by the Beatles' picturesque and lyrical songwriting, which is very clear throughout the song and very clear throughout a lot of the songs from this album. Most of the songs just either pull on an interesting title or put together images and nice picturesque imagery. Well, I think that's sort of psychedelic. It's 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 of the of the time, yeah. isn't it? I yeah. mean, one of the things I like on this is the orchestral arrangements on it. done by Bill Shepard and I have to say they are very tasteful arrangements especially compared to string arrangements that were done for say Genesis from Genesis to Revelation which sounds incredibly dated this one really stands up well so yeah full kudos to um, Shepard for fantastic arrangements on this one and obviously at this time there was five of them Vince Maloney Maloney yeah, and I was, that's Col- with that Col- one. Colin Peterson they both originate from Australia the Bee Gees got in contact with them or vice versa through contacts at the start of the recording uh, sessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they would only stay on till Odessa, is that right? I think so, yeah, they started to dwindle out. I think by the time the best stuff come out, there was only four of them on the front. So <laughs> one obviously, yeah. one had obviously uh, been dropped out or <laughs> left. The only other thing I had to say about this song is that um, the Bee Gees performed it live at New Year's Eve 1999 at the National Car Rental Centre in Florida. Do you know, I've not seen that. Such a holiday Ooh, you're a holiday Such a holiday It's something I think's worthwhile If the puppet makes you smile If not, then you're throwing stones Throwing stones Throwing stones First of all, with this one, I really love the transition between Turn of the Century into Holiday. It goes nice and quiet at the end of Turn of the Century and then slowly ebbs into the beginning of Holiday with uh, Robin's... But what a classic song. Yeah, really, really is. I think there's a great back and forth between Barry and Robin on this one, even though to me it feels like a predominantly Robin song. Yes, I I think so. It's one of those where Robin takes the lead and when Robin takes the lead, you tend to think of it as one of his songs. And there's a lovely use of scat vocals on this song towards the middle before Robin comes back in on the vocals, which is just really lovely. For me, it's the first classic uh, Bee Gees song. Got a gorgeous melody. And it's one that the Bee Gees, well, up till 2000, performed quite a lot. Yeah, this is really is a fan favourite, as you said, performed as part of the old medleys and stuff. And I, I agree with you completely. Is I think it's a gorgeous vocal from Robin and a wonderful um, melody. Something about this one, I don't know, it's about the opening lyric of the song with Robin saying that you're a holiday. Oh, it's it, interesting. You, you feel a bit different about it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's almost lyrics that don't quite match the melody for me. I think with different lyrics to a different subject. Um, oh, you're a holiday. Mm. Yeah. Not the, quite sure, but... Yeah, not quite sure about that one. Did it chart at all? Was it a single? It wasn't released in the UK. Okay. I, it was the third single in America. Right. Looking at the charts, it got to number 16. So not bad for a yeah. third release. Prior to that, obviously, I knew your mind disaster and to love somebody. Mm-hmm. First single charted better in the UK, but the second one better in the USA. Well, I think that's fair for this song. It's quite a slow, quiet ballad number. Millions of eyes 
Right, well, continuing on with the album, next we have the incredible earworm, Red Chair Fade Away. Red Chair Fade Away Bring back memories Think of something nice Fragrant lemon trees I can feel the speaking sky I don't You were definitely right when you said earworm. That will stick with me probably the rest of the day. Yeah, well, I've been playing the album quite a few times this week. I think we both have in preparation for this. And um, I can't get this one out. It's really, really catchy. I think the catchiest song on the album. Yeah, and, and it wasn't a hit. It's quite a deep cut, isn't it? I mean, yeah, not one that not many life. people probably would listen to or hear and stuff. And I think, like every song on the album, very much of the era, uh, I picked up on the lyric, we going higher. just made me sort of think of... Do you know what the lyrics are? Because what I've read, it's based on memories of his dad thinking about his dad. Yeah, and I suppose you get that with um, the whole idea of fading away, the thinking of what the other person's memories. And Yeah, I think they've put a Bee Gees slant on it, haven't they? I mean, I did read somewhere that uh, Barry thought it was more fictional, but Robin had a different slant on it. I'd, I'd imagine that they probably went into the studio with that attitude a lot of times. I think so. Having different opinions. So I think this one was probably made up in the studio. I'm not sure. I can imagine them, say, coming in with the idea of talking about the, the chair and having the imagery. About a minute into the song, where you've got Barry repeating Red Chair Fade Away, and you have this, it really reminded me of Magical Mystery Tour, which was from the same year. Well, of course, yeah, yeah, with yeah. With dissonant sounding chords and brass and recorder sounds that... And it builds up and it really does work and it adds to the psychedelia. Um, and I love the way that, that carries forward all the way to the song's fade out. Quite rightly, the song should fade out, given the title. But it's definitely a 67 song, isn't oh, it? Oh, completely. Could you imagine the Beatles doing this? Yeah, I, I, it'd be a John song, I think. Yeah. Right, well that carries us through into the next track. One minute woman, please I go down on my knees To say to you With a word so true Well, what a great song. This is the first Bee Gees type of ballad, I would class as a ballad. Right. Um, it's so what, fourth, in, fourth up in the album, isn't it? And mm-hmm. it's, do you think so? Or? Well, for me, this is my favourite on the album. It's your favourite, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely in Barry's, in his style. Even though I was surprised to learn recently that there's also a version with Robin. I've heard it. that. Yeah, we'll have to play it. I'm not 
I suppose because I'm used to Barry's version, hearing Robin sing it, it it's okay, but it, it sounds a bit more mournful he when he sings it. He doesn't quite hit the highs of Barry's vocals. He no. Hit, he can hit certain notes. I'm assuming this is another Billy Shepherd arrangement. I think so. If I so, it's, it's so. my favourite. I, I think it's wonderful. Uh, yeah, incredible song. Was it? Did they perform it live much? Do you, I don't think they did. There was a release a year or two of BG's live on air 67 68 so there is a version of uh, one minute woman there from Saturday Club from April 1967 All right, we'll so literally after a month of recording it they went on there and sung it you're tuned to the all happening all live show from London top of the pops <laughs> And here come the brilliant Bee Gees again with another of their own distinctive songs. And this one's called... One Minute Woman, please I go down on my knees To say to you with a word so... Along with In My Own Time, Cucumber Castle and New York Minor Disaster. So, good four songs... A bit of promotion, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, if the album come out later, then then it's a good uh, two or three months before it come out. So. Yeah, I believe it was the album was July UK certainly, or that might be July. In it the was US. July. Yeah, yeah, it was de- definitely July. Well, to me, although it's credited as Barry and Robin, it really does feel more like a Barry song. Definitely, definitely a Barry song. I think it's one of the few songs that they wrote, uh, or one of the few songs they wrote while coming over to the UK again. So I should say it's one of the ideas that was floating around. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this has got quite a nice story it's Barry pleading to, to a woman but also there's a nice play on words with the title you can see it in different ways is he asking is he asking her for a minute of her time or is he saying that this is a woman that you only get a minute with it's quite a nice way of looking at the at the title and the lyrics and I think way. Barry I think Barry did say that it's one of those songs where they sort of say well let's write a song for somebody right, this one bit. I think let's write a Beatles song let's do a Beach Boys song yes. Yeah, and there's certainly songs later on that are very much pastiches of Beach Boys and the Beatles, as we'll get It's the harmonies, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the Beach Boys sort of specialised in harmonies, and again, Bee Gees are the same. But it's a testament to the Bee Gees that, despite carrying on with some of those pastiches, they continue to make it their own and... and oh, def- you, you, can, you, you know it's them. Yeah, yeah. Even Straight when away. Even when they're copying someone else, you know it's them. <laughs> yeah. Talking of the Beatles, we're, is it the next track we're up to? Is called in my own time. Well, is it called in my own time or is it called Taxman? Oh well, let's listen and find out. <laughs> listening to Revolver then I can blame you it does sound like a carbon copy yeah it's very much of its time I would say it's more 66 era yeah than 67 I mean you get Tomorrow Never Knows and as you, as you say the Taxman but then again Taxman's been used by quite a few people the jam were doing some the start stuff. yeah I mean the riff at the beginning is Taxman riff yeah one two three four <laughs> one two
Well, I think that's more a testament to the Beatles, but... Uh, and this is something that the Bee Gees would carry on with. There's the song Bad Bad Dreams from To Whom It May Concern. To me, has that kind of day tripper, I feel fine vibe to it. So clearly it was... And that's one of the sort of out-and-out tracks on the album, isn't it? Yeah. Clearly built into the Bee Gees DNA that, you know, always refer back to the Beatles, which is fair enough. I think most musicians do uh, always refer back to what's best. I mean, they definitely were, weren't they? Yeah. But I, I thought that it was at this point in the album that, for me, I felt, right, we've got a very clear indication of what this band is about. We've got Robin's ballad, we've had Barry's ballad, we've had the Brock pop with Turn of the Century, we've had this Beatles rock pastiche. Do you think it's got a bit of a Morrissey, you know, Morrissey song? Yeah, very much, Lay It On Me. Oh, well, that's one of his swamp-type songs. Yeah, we'll get onto that with The Loner. I think that's an album of all that sort of material. Definitely. from Right from sort of his solo stuff... To at least 1972, I should think. Next, we have oh, probably the poppiest song on the album Every Christian Lion Hearted Man Will Show You. Oh, that one. didn't seem to be very excited by this song for me it's the worst one on the album okay i don't like the beginning not the singing monks and they do appear quite like the beginning and then they come back in the studio for the end bit i thought they were just sort of chanting nonsense but they're saying is it oh dominique so So, something yeah yeah some latin or but the weirdest thing about this song i completely cannot understand why was this included on best of bg's well, when I had the album, well, I borrowed the album. Never, put, never returned. <laughs> <laughs> and I put it onto a, because then they used to put it onto a little portable cassette and listen to. It was always one that I took out and put as last. Yeah. For me, it just ruins the flow. And I still don't know today why it was put on the best of. Because it certainly isn't. Well, I think it's very, we said about in my own time being of the 60s, this one couldn't be more late 60s. It's got... To give it its credit, it's got fantastic instrumentation. I imagine that it's uh, Morris that's on the Mellotron, and that really, the Mellotron really places this song. The song there. itself is not too bad. Yeah, I like the, the verses. I think uh, I think better for me than the opening, and better than the chorus. If you put it in a, an acoustic setting, yeah, like yeah. the holiday, then a little bit of this, fine. But I just don't don't uh, don't get the. Uh, but it definitely evokes, um, I think Barry was inspired by a trip to Rome, and to me it really inspires us, it really evokes that cathedral, Vatican sort of yeah. feel with it. But yeah, no, uh, very sort much... Sort of on the Da Vinci Code or something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, very much in that sort of moody blues, King Crimson style with the Mellotron. The fire which to the court of the Crimson King. 
Well, that's interesting. You've just found out what the lyrics transcribe or translate to. Yes, it means strength through fear of God and unity and through church and family. Uh, it's more about the ideas and the imagery and the mood that the... I song, think it's the mood. Yeah, the mood that the song conjures up. I think it's it's a sort of... They saw the phrase, they thought this sounds nice. Yes, I think Robert Stingwood liked it. All right, okay, yeah. Yeah, and this was recorded sort of March, April. Anything else to say about the song? No, no. Uh, well, I'm guessing when I ask you at the end, what's your favourite song? It's not going to be this. Uh, you guess right. <laughs> right, well, um, that brings us on to Craze Finton Royal Academy of Arts. That would be a, a nice easy one to put on the front of the singles. <laughs> he smiled and rubbed the stubble on his chin. His shoes showed signs of weariness and dreariness of life that's growing thin. Yet he didn't have so very far to go. With a pencil in his hand, he would travel on his plan. Where the mist from in the mountain through a light. Well, I think this is quite a nice song to round off the end of side one of the album. Once again, it continues on with giving us a taste and a flavour for everything that the Bee Gees in this period of their lives have to offer with regards to music. Uh, I thought that the production was fantastic. Uh, Very McCartney-esque. It reminded me of the production style, not too dissimilar to, say, Honey Pie or When I'm 64, in that sort of jaunty music. Oh, sort of 20s and and sort of... Definitely. I think it's got a um, more of a Robin quirky type song. Yes. In fact, it reminds me of a song from 1966 called Winchester Cathedral by the new Vaudeville band. Okay, I'm not familiar with that, but I'll, I think I'll, it got to number one. I'll play it. I'll give it a play for everyone to hear. Winchester Cathedral. Okay. Well, that was probably very much then in the subconscious of the Bee Gees, taking something like that in mind. There was that interesting quotation we've got here about they wanted to do an instrumental, but just do one instrument, so it's Morris on piano, and just ad-lib. All three of them, I believe, ad-lib. Uh, yeah, I think Robin started ad-libbing, and then, obviously, that's where the song come come in. It was, it was made upon the spot. Well, I think, once again, this song is a testament to... The great musical work of the Three Bee Gees, particularly Morris, he's got a great uh, prowess when it comes to use of the keyboards, of the piano, of the bass, uh, and this is a fantastic one for him on piano. And you think he was only 17 at the time. Yeah, incredible, absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's, it's When you, you see him and Tony Banks at the age of 16, 17, writing Firth of Fifth and things like this. Well, I th- he was 17, obviously Robin's 17, and at the time I should think Barry was about 20. Yeah. Imagine going to studio at that age and doing this sort of stuff and then oh, I suppose because they've been at it for so long yeah this is part of this is an intrinsic part of their lifestyle they're very prolific weren't they incredibly so yeah something else that I absolutely love about this song there seems to be a musical full stop and a, that's the quirkiness in it yeah where the music just pauses and then comes back in And uh, I really like the ending where it's just vocals. It's really and nice. I also think it's it's sort of like the brother or sister to Mr. Wallace Wiley Wall. Oh, yeah. That's another, really. I, t- I think I prefer this one to that. Yes, I do. 
ever so slightly. <laughs> I thought the transitions here between Barry and Robin kind of a noticeable for me. It's difficult for me to pick up, is that Barry or is that Robin? Yeah. Sometimes when they harmonise together, it is a little bit difficult. Then Robin sometimes changes his voice and becomes that little bit deeper. Yes. Then it, it's, they sort of blend quite well together, well, yeah, really well. Where Robin goes slightly lower, Barry can hit it slightly higher. But don't ask me where Morris is. <laughs> He's the man in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Uh, and that brings us to the end of side one. Turning over onto side two, we have New York Mining Disaster, a very, very unknown track from the, from the Bee Gees discography. What makes you think that? <laughs> in the event of something happening to me There is something I would like you all to see It's just a photograph of someone that I knew Have you seen my wife, Mr. Jones? Do you know what it's like on the outside? Don't go talking too loud, you'll cause a landslide, Mr. Jones. Well, we start side two with the instant classic. Yep. One that we've heard numerous times, it's on every concert, but... You never, you never get fed up with it. Well, I don't, anyway. No, it's got a chorus that instantly hits. I love it, I do. It was interesting looking at the story of the song, how um, they wrote it, uh, the story that's often told about them being in the dark... Was it recording studio basement? Y- yes, yeah, I think I think so. Or, or it's one of the house they were renting yeah. when, when they come, come here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, how they performed... They must have performed it at the time or very early on to Stigwood, and they went into the studio with a much fuller, almost full spectacle-like arrangement to it, which you can hear on the 2006 reissue. Yeah, it's a fuller sound, bigger orchestra. It's not, it wouldn't have been out of place on Odessa. Yes. it's that type of orchestra. Quite bombastic. Yeah, yeah, and they've got a lot of oohs and ahs in the background yeah, as well. Yeah, really lovely so. harmonies. Have you seen my wife, Mr Jones? Do you know what it's like on the outside? Stigwood turned around to them and said, no, I want it stripped back, more acoustic. And I think there's another version as well. I think there's three versions on the reissue. The second one, again, there's, it, it gradually gets less and less... Instrumentation. And, yeah, yeah. And it becomes more about the voices. Yeah. Have you seen my wife, Mr Jones? Do you know what it's like on the outside? Which I think suits the song. It's a cry for help. It's a bit obviously disaster, but I think it was an imaginary one. But it, there was a couple of disasters. I think one in one in uh, um, I think just outside New York. I think, and then obviously that one in Wales the year before. Yeah, which they would have drawn upon. But the the song in in the style that it's sung very much pulls upon that isolation, and um, very much reflects the way that it was written. They decided we're in a dark room. Let's write a song. And I think actually this this was the first song. I think the first recording session, the beginning of March. Okay. Well, this was the first one they they started with. Fantastic way to start off. It must have been. Must really must have been. First one. I believe it's this one. And then I think after this one, they went into I Can't See Nobody, which we'll mm-hmm. obviously... And obviously, if the lights were out in the studio, that song makes sense to me. <laughs> they couldn't see anybody. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that this song had uh, ends quite an unusual way. In the same way that She Loves You ends with that quite strange jazzy chord that George Martin often talks about 
This song also ends, I looked it up, it's an A minor chord over a D in the bass, which is it's quite an open, unresolved way to end the song, and I think it adds, there is no resolution to this song. There's not really much of a resolution at the end. Are they rescued from the mine at the end? Do you know, I don't know. Well, the, the Welsh one, obviously, was a, a disaster. I suppose New York Mine Disaster. Yeah. It's quite an unusual title. They, I think they had to amend it in the US. They had to put, have you seen my wife, Mr. Mr. Jones? Mr. Jones. No. Yeah, just to get, so people would know what the song yeah, is. Yeah, Do you know how it fared in the US for singles? UK reached number 12. Okay. And if you go by, I know the US have several charts, but the Billboard, it got to number 14, mm-hmm. which is cracking for, for a first single. Yeah. This was also helped getting to number 12 by being on top of the pops. So their very first performance was in a mimed performance, I believe, in 1967. Have you seen that performance? Talk? There is a performance on top of the... I'm sure it's on top of the... I sometimes get a look with this one in Massachusetts because one of the two they always show on BBC4, yeah, on, on top of the pops. I've got to feel it's Massachusetts, but I'll have to look back and just see mm-hmm. whether there is a, um, uh, a, a tape recording. Brilliant way to open up side two. It could have been the opening of side one. It could have been the closer of any of the sides. Whether you swap this with turn of the century or you start the album on side B, I don't know. I suppose it was quite a clever thing for the Bee Gees where they thought, well, people have heard this song a lot in the singles. Let's open up with a different song that they wouldn't have heard. But then he gets the second side two off to a you know, Yeah, it keeps the audience start. waiting yeah. for the second yeah. side of the album. Right, well, from Mining Disasters in New York, let's go to Castles Made of Cucumber. A Pinkerton spy Said this is the place I will try And he did Stood in the dark Sat a man Who beckoned him in But leaving his brass Was a sin But he did Cucumber castle Be ever so humble It's home Well, that's a good slice of 67 pop, if you'll excuse the pun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in in fact, they used that song to good good use when they did their TV special, which was Cucumber Castle, which tied in with the album from 1970 with just Barry and uh, Morris. They planned on doing something for TV. If you look at writings, they're always planning to do a film. They were always planning to do a TV special. And I think with all the work that they did, it was eventually, it was, obviously Robin left the group then, so it was just Barry and um, Morris that put this together. Mind you, looking at something like the Sergeant Pepper's film, I doubt it would have been very, it would have been quite naff and of its time. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, well, yeah, that went like a lead balloon, didn't it? <laughs> we'll get onto that at a later yeah. point. I mean, I've seen small clips of it, but I've not watched it in its completion. I think Frankie Howard's in it and one or two other famous sort of people. Uh, and they're, think the front cover of the album is from one of the scenes right yeah from the uh, tv thing and they're all sort of dressed up with the medieval regalia Me- yeah all, oh, that's it personally i have the least to say about the song as in any of them on the album it doesn't do much for me it's a, a good song but i yeah. would oh it sort of floats in the middle it comes and goes it's a nice album filler track i wouldn't if it was left off it'd be fine it feels a bit like a b-side Looking at the song's instrumentation, it's got quite a simple strings, percussion and bass uh, arrangement. And with regards to the lyrics, this one was inspired. They were purposefully going for the psychedelic, picturesque, but also medieval flavour. 
But I thought it was interesting. There wasn't really anything besides the title of the song that really drew me towards anything medieval. Not in the same way as, say, every Christian lion-hearted man. I thought this one just more felt... More sort of psychedelic. Yeah, more psychedelic. and Calling um, the castle cucumber. With a name like that, it sticks in your, sticks yeah, in your memory. certainly stuck in their memory. <laughs> cucumber castle be ever so humble it's I don't believe it, but it's top of the pop. There's a light, a certain kind of light that never shone on me. I want my life to be alive. Well, I've got to say, for me, this is the highlight of the album. I think it is for most people. It's a song that's just grown and grown. It's been covered by numerous people, and most of the people that have covered it, it's done well. Mm-hmm. I think Jimmy Somerville's one of them. Yeah, they've all done really well in the charts with it. Uh, this, I think this is the one that Barry seems to think was written for Otis Redding. Right. But I think it was another song called End of My Song. Okay. Don't think it was this one. But if Barry said it was, then Barry said it is. But I think there is somewhere written down where it's, it's a completely different song. Okay. But written about the same time. Well, I think uh, an easy way to see just how well this song has stood the test of time was the reception that it had when Barry performed it in 2016 at Glastonbury with Coldplay. We can bring on an actual BG. Here comes Mr. Barry Gibb. Let's be respectful. All right. There's a light. Certain kind of light. And again, the following year. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, it's brilliant. Yeah. So I think he did two songs then, didn't he, at Glastonbury? Did, with did the foot with Stay Coldplay. Alive with him. Glastonbury Love and Nightfield. One, one of them two. Yeah. But definitely, uh, definitely a highlight of that set for me. Well, for me, I I think this is Barry's definitive song. I think that Robin's definitive song is yet to come, as is Morris's. But for me, 
Whenever I think of Barry and the Bee Gees, this is the song that I think of. This I most associate it with him. And so early in his career as well. Yeah. So early. Yeah. I think this is a song that transcends the production and and the album. Brilliant vocal. Yeah. You could put it on any other album. It's the sort of song where, kind of like yesterday with McCartney, people don't think of the production, they just think of the song. And it's a song that sounds... It's a very mature sounding as well. Yes. Yeah. It started off written in New York, some hotel, I think. And uh, and then I think they finished all... Barry and Robin finished the last verse off in London. And how well did the song do with regards to charts? It did it way better in the US than, okay. in, than in the UK. In fact, I think it only got to... I'll just have a quick look at my reference book. But <laughs> I just found it number 41 in the UK and number 17 in the US. So first two singles in the US, two top 20 singles. But just to give a bit of context, what does that mean? Does that Because do, you look at the charts now and whether something's number one or whether something's number 100, it doesn't make a difference really. But Well, now it's all obviously based on play, Spotify and streams. streaming and everything. Whereas then a single had come out, it could probably take 10 weeks for it to get to number one. Okay. It, it, it was a slow, like a slow burner. They, they, if they managed to look enough to get a slot on top of the pops... It could shoot up six, seven places, ten places. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, an, It very rarely did you have a song in the 60s that went, boom, straight into number one, or straight in the top five or ten. Yeah. Again, you see, Radio 1 didn't start till 67. So prior to that, it, it was very limited to where you could actually listen to music, apart from the pirate ships. <laughs> and I believe BBC had, had a chart rundown programme, which they chaired, but... Regarding it, it, their own pop program, it was 67. This song, you say, was the last one that they recorded for the sessions for this... Or was part of the Virtually last the, last, the last couple of song sessions for the album as well, so... Yes. They were clearly, you know, as you said, they were maturing, they were gaining understanding and experience of life in the studio and songwriting and developing as, as artists, and we will certainly see that develop over the next few decades of their recording career. Right, well, that does bring us on to the next song on the album. I close my eyes. And I can't see where I'm going. <laughs> Look at me, I'm riding up. Don't know what's wrong with me. Can't you see, I'm not the guy that I pretend to be. Well, Chris, what do you think to that one? Because, I, to be honest with you, I haven't got a lot to say about it. I think it's, to me, it, it's a run-of-the-mill track. It's a, it's a good, but an album filler. I have to say, for me, it's got the best, well, certainly the most noticeable, whether that means the best drumming on the album. Yeah, you can definitely hear it. Yeah, it really stands out to me. Um, whereas some of the songs, I feel like the instrumentation and sometimes feel a bit lost in the mix. Yeah. It feels like Barry and Robin are brought to the fore. But this well, I think song, it's a sort of song that... They could virtually write in their sleep. It's a bit of a band effort. Yeah, I mean, they could, they could reel these off to a penny, and it's, it's it's a song I can imagine as well they could give to somebody else to sing, like they did in the 80s. It would be a song that um, would be written for, for somebody else. But on the album, it fits in. However, it does feel to me the sort of song that wouldn't be out of place in the sort of style that they would carry forwards onto 
albums like To Whom It May Concern. Yeah, definitely. Probably why I'm not so keen on that album. <laughs> but more we'll for later. Yeah, yeah, more for later. But no, that's everything I have to say about this song. No, I've got nothing more. It, it, it's, it is what it is, isn't yeah. it? Right, well, I believe we're next on to track number 11, and that's I Can't See Nobody. Oh, well then. Put your glasses on. Specs out as we can. I walk the lonely streets I watch the people passing by I used to smile and say hello If I was just a happy guy Then you offer good This feeling that this is another one in my opinion is another classic on the album love robin's vocals on this one it's he sounds slightly different um whether it's deeper or not but it's got quite a different take to it looking at the book i th- it was one of the, I think it was the second song they recorded after New York Mining Disaster. It's really got that same style and atmosphere. You yeah, can, I you think can so. Really feels as though they've just finished recording New York. Let's go on to the next yeah. one. Keep, and keep the momentum. And, and especially because I think this one was written, one of the few songs on the album that was written in Australia prior to them oh, really, leaving. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Brisbane, I think. So it, it's one of the few songs they, they brought to them into the studio mm-hmm. that would have been at least four or five months old. So they probably had time to work on it and get an idea of how they wanted it to sound. Yeah. Well, I put that this is uh, the warbling Robin vocal perfection that we'd go on to know and love. This is really, as you say, really right for Robin. It's perfect for him. And it become a staple for the Bee Gees, that vocal style that he would carry forward. This is a wonderfully soulful piece. I think it's like Robin's sister track to Barry's Love Somebody. For me, it almost feels like the sister Yeah, to yeah, that. I hadn't thought of it that way, but... Uh... I suppose giving it another listen and I think you're probably right and another if this is Shepard on doing the arrangements this is another fantastic one from him it's really incredibly put together yeah. but what, what to me it's a waste as a B-side though oh yeah absolutely you could Defin- definite waste I might um, swap it with Holiday but then again it's maybe too similar to To Love Somebody yeah. but then but in the 60s they were they were just churning them out you yeah. know a single wouldn't normally go on an album no so then as I say we're looking at it, this album was finished in July within months or virtually straight away they were starting on the next album and uh, obviously songs or singles that didn't appear yeah. on this or the following album. Well, like most songs on this album, as I've been saying, I don't really have much of an idea as to what the lyrics are about. I can see that it's, once again, it seems to be Robin's calling out for something. From what I've read, it was written, obviously, with Barry and Robin, and it said that they were sitting in a dressing room and they were sharing it with some girls obviously in the theatre something that wasn't wearing much right okay um, so I think it's a play on the word of nobody oh I see yeah I can, I can, I can rather than saying I can see plenty of body I think they turn it around and sing I can't see nobody okay. that's the way I that's yeah. the way I, I, I think it is yeah okay that's so I can't see I can't see nobody but it's funny you think of playing words like that you think it'd be quite that would be quite a jaunty song but it's it's not no, really. no, no, it's, it's, it's quite a mature one. Yeah, no, another one that uh, sounds very sort of serious and old and what they are. So. Yeah, yeah, which they were. I can't see nobody. I 
Here we are on the penultimate track on the album, and for me, this is another great favourite up there with One Minute Woman. How about you? I really like this one as well. one of these songs that prior to us doing this and we've sat through the album two or three times this week at least it's it's a song that's sort of shouting here am I here am I sort of thing yeah you know prior to the I mean I like you I've listened to the album and then you, you think all right I've listened to this album I'll listen to another album but listen it two or three times this is another one a bit like Red Chair Fade Away that sort of comes into consciousness but this is a absolutely gorgeous song with wonderful Brian Wilson Esque style I mean, harmonies. And... I mean, I think I've read where Barry says he something about guy. It's his visit to the psychiatrist. That's what it is. Is how he describes it. But for me, it's early Beatles. Yes, that's what you mean. Sort of that harmonies, sort of you know the B sides of Beatles used to do in the early sixties. Sort of like this boy, yeah, that sort of style. Where where it's very harmonies. Some of my favourite Beatles. Yeah, I, I like the early yeah, early B sides. Brilliant. Well, the falsetto harmonies that are in this uh, song... Which is the first one, I think it's the first yeah. to appear on a Bee Gees record. And obviously the Bee Gees would become synonymous with falsetto later on. Little did they know. Yeah, yeah. little would they have known. Probably would have been called Please Dance With Me then or something. <laughs> or, or, or something, or Please Jive With Me or something. <laughs> I think that although this one has quite Brian Wilson-esque and Beatles sort of feel to it, it doesn't feel like a pastiche in the same way as In My Own Time. No, It still it stays doesn't. its own song. Yeah. It's modern, but for 67. Yeah. Well, beyond the reference to the Beach Boys and Beatles uh, influence, there's not too much written about this song, but it's, it's, it's just a great shame in my opinion. It's another one of those Dale album deep cuts, isn't yeah. it? That, that deserve to hear more. Yeah, really go and check it out. And with that, that takes us to the last song on the album, Close Another Door. And now I'm all alone I said Some obscure it's so sad, so sad. For this song, I find, I don't know whether you agree, but I find that the opening Robin vocal uh, with the, all the reverb, it doesn't, uh, the mournful tone of that doesn't quite match the rest of the song. No, because Robin's in his I'm, I'm so sad mood, isn't it? Yeah, and then it, it breaks out into a much more happy, upbeat Oh, I, yeah, it ends the album very up. Yeah. Really up. But it, 
it sounds like it's like two songs. The beginning and end is one part, and the middle bit's another. Stitch together because they didn't know yeah, what else to do with yeah. them. Very similar sort of thing Paul McCartney would do. Yes, yeah, Uncle Albert. Band, Band on the Run, them sort of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're making quite a lot of references to him and his music throughout this podcast series. But I thought that contrary to the song's title, Closing of the Door, this didn't really feel like the best closure to the album. It feels a bit... It, it would work better in the middle of a side and maybe have... Please Read Me would probably be a better closer, in my opinion. Because they did that in later albums. They, they finished with a sort of a softer... Well, I suppose... Spirits having flow. Spirits having yeah, this is what I like. And yeah. main course, they yeah, should turn away. Yes, yeah. that's it, yeah. I also really like the way that this song breaks down just before it comes back, about a minute and ten into the song before coming back into the chorus. There's a really nice breakdown and then you've got the two thudding drum beats before going back into the chorus. I thought that was a really nice... Once again, the Bee Gees demonstrating fantastic arrangement and understanding of how to structure a song. It's glad you've got a more musical mind than me. (laughs) It is what it is. And I think it, it does end the album well. Like you, I think you probably could change the order around, but with 14 songs to play with... Yeah. It... And then, as I say, then then days you have the album, so you'd, you'd shove seven on one, seven on the other, which is still generous. And would you describe the Bee Gees at this point as an albums band or a singles band? Singles band. Yeah. Singles band that has made a cracking album. Yes. Or first yeah. cracking album. And would continue to do so. Yeah. And so that brings us to the end of Bee Gees first. However, this definitely isn't the end in terms of tracks. There are plenty of... Well, they were so prolific. So yeah. there's at least five songs that remained unissued until... 2006 and still about three or after that that we know of, yeah three after that that we know of that still haven't been officially released yeah whether they were complete tracks or not we don't think they are but there's still song titles that yes. in, that it's intriguing to find out what they actually sound Even like if, I think there were some cases where I think it was Craig Swinton Kirk or another song had a title that was then a lyric in that song so it was clearly they just changed the name as you say there's at least three three song titles that I've never heard mm. from this period. So if anybody out there hears them, knows them... Yeah, send them our way. We'd love to hear them and love to know about them. Right, well, let's start off with Gilbert Green. On the hill inside a house at Cornwell Reach Stands a man who's feeling very tired Looking at a song he wrote some time ago Made it big inside a Broadway show. Every day I go away and find this one to me. I mean, do you think it sounds like a Robin, another Robin song? Yeah, it's that Robin Jaunt song again that we'll get quite often with these extra tracks. He's got this certain style that he yeah. likes to do, and it's something I think they were going to do a lot better. Yeah. I mean, this one from what I've read is another '66 Australian okay. song. Yep, that they are that. Uh, Probably that's why it's not on the album. They they probably did it and were a bit fed up of it and obviously wanted newer tracks to go on the album. Well, I thought listening to the song, the only reason I could really think it'd be left off, because I think it fits on fine, but I found that with the chorus sounded really similar to Close Another Door. Yeah. Yeah. in the way that the, the structure of the chorus, and I thought whether they were too similar and this turned out to be the weaker of the pair. Because it's quite a story song as well. Yeah, very much more in... Yeah, that's very much Robin's style. Very sort of, let's uh, tell it a bit of Robin's reign yeah. in that sort of style. Yeah. 
However, I, yeah, I did think that it was catchy, but it did, to me, have the feel of a B-side. You know, it it would be fine as an album track, but I'm I'm not crying over it being left off. No. I mean, it was first... I mean, it wasn't heard until 2006, again, on these yeah, re- it's nice reissues. Yeah, nice to have. But if you were a deep collector, I think you probably would have had the... They did, a, did give it away to somebody else. I think it was um, Jerry Marsden. Right, okay. Yep. So I think Bad August Tom probably August. gave it back to them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give it back to Gilbert. <laughs> he released it, I think it's sunk without trace, I think. Yeah. I mean Jerry Marsden by sixty seven. He of Jerry and the Pacemakers was a sort of has been, you know, yeah. on the cabaret circuit. So it's unlikely to break that. So obviously the Bee Gees offered him the single or through his management. Be- being aware that it wasn't the top tier song exactly was given to Jerry. Yeah. But as it sounds, it's 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 great to have it's great to have this reissue and to have these songs. Oh yeah, with the Bee Gees. Yeah, definitely. It's just a nice oddity. Well, going into next on our list, House of Lords. With regards to this song, my thoughts are very similar as they were with Gilbert Green. It's a fine, harmless, leftover track. I don't mind it not being on the album. If it was, I wouldn't be complaining. Uh, Another story song, very much feels like something Robin would do. Definitely a a B-side song, or, which was very popular in the 60s, was EPs. Yes. They could they could have done a I don't know, uh to love somebody EP and stuck this one in House of Lords or another track we're gonna come up on yeah. and stuck it on there. But again it's another one that they gave away to some group I've never heard of, the Monopoly. Never heard of them, never seen them. And obviously from the sounds of it nobody else has either. <laughs> yeah, they've been put back in the cupboard with the rest of the Monopoly. <laughs> But however, I did notice that this song with its production has a quite a Baroque pop feel. Similar Which we to talked about, Century. that's it, we talked about earlier. Yeah, so I, I did wonder whether they were done in the same session, but I don't think they were. No, I think it was done with an, another track we, we're going to come across, which uh, um, whether we want to talk about later is Mr. Wallace Wiley Moore. Which we, we'll go on to that next. Yeah. Well, to me, it sounds like Robin stubbed his toe on the wall at the beginning of the, <laughs> at the, beginning of the song um, with that sort of uh, noise. It's unusual on this one. It's, it, it's, it, to me, it's got a touch of the George Formbys about it. The, and then you've got that sort of 20s thing. If anything, it, it's more of a song I would put into a musical. Yeah, that's what I, th- I in my notes, I said it was a great use of brass and a nice sort of big band send up. Yes, I think so. And I think that's what I think you've got it there. It's a send up. Yeah. Probably never intended for release anyway. No. It was just one that they could have fun within the studio. And also test out a few effects. They seem to be trying out all different studio trickery on this one, so I'm sure it was a nice way for them to put stuff into practice before going on to recording for the album. If you look over the recordings, there's quite a few tracks that they've done, probably never released, that are of this type of nature. Yeah. 
So I think they're renowned for doing their sort of wacky goons type humour. And was this one was this given to anyone? No. Okay. Not that not that I've I've, I've researched it and I couldn't see whether anybody would probably nobody would want it. No, yeah, it's quite a tough one. It, to it, it, it's a tough tough one to sell this one. I yeah. think, isn't it? It's for a musical, and I think that's where it. A nice, should go. a nice oddity to have. Yeah. Looking at the credits for this song, it's quite interesting, as you just pointed out, that most of these unreleased and extra tracks are ones that are credited to Barry, Robin and Morris, whereas most of the album is just Barry and Robin. So whether these are earlier songs yes, that they could have wrote prior to this and, as I say, brought them to it, because for me this is quite a sort of a rocky type of song. Could have been written the same day as In My Own Time. That's it, yeah. So again, it's got that 60s... Psychedelic. Yeah, mid-60s feel to me yeah. as well. Catchy riff. Really catchy. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, the riff is really good. And I think it's down as Robin singing lead vocals, but... If you, if you weren't listening carefully, I would have thought that was Morris. Okay. Yeah, it's once again in Morris's style. Yeah, because yeah. Robin doesn't sound like Robin if it's Robin singing, <laughs> if you know what I mean. No, yeah, I get what you mean. And no no hint of Barry at all, I don't think I can hear, but... Besides probably, from probably rhythm guitar. Exactly, yeah. I might have to give it another listen, but probably a twins effort. <laughs> Watching all the hours, counting all the flowers that I grow. Think I'm slow. Sitting on the inside, watching all the outside people go. Think I'm slow. Dreaming all around my clock. Dreaming all around my clock in the night time. It's quite nice to hear Barry on one of these unreleased tracks. Yeah, I think it's one of his uh, quirky songs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he put them on his B-sides. Right. But uh, this one, yeah, no, it, it, it's a choppy little tune. It's just amazing, again, like the others, these these stood in the vaults for 30 years. Because they're definitely worth hearing, aren't it's they? It's got quite a catchy verse, so where, to, to write something quite melodic and catchy and then just to put it away and shelve it. Yeah. It's, and, it's, and then just go on to something else. Yeah, well, that's just the way that they worked. Yeah. Frustrating for us, but for them, fine. Yeah, completely forgotten about this song. It reminded <laughs> me quite a bit of, um, we'll get onto it later, but Pity from Odessa. Which oh, that's, I really the other, like. that's another unreleased yeah, one, which like, I, I really like that Yeah, one. me too. I agree with you, it's got a touch of pity to it. And on to the next unreleased track, that's End of My Song. Well, this is that song, End of My Song, the one that we've got down as written for Otis Redding, which I think is a good song. Not as good as To Love Somebody, but a great song. And I think, personally, it's the best of these outtakes. I completely agree. Definitely, definitely one. Great uh, Barry vocal. Sounds a little bit like, like a demo. To me, they could have used this song on Mr Natural rather than Give a Hand, Take a Hand. They could have used this one. Obviously got Arif Martin on it to... Give it, give it his touch, but 
definitely I would prefer it to give a hand, take a hand. Because even that one was a three or four year old song mm. when it went on that album. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, now you've said that, I can really see it on there. With, as you said, a different production style, completely wouldn't be out of place. I, unlike the other songs, I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine this on Bee Gees first. No, and I, I might even struggle actually with, with idea and horizontal. Mm. Because the style sort of changed. It's more of a bluesy type yes. song. So I don't really know where you'd put this in in theirs, but wouldn't really fit, I, I don't think, on the first three, four albums. I suppose that's why they kept Give a Hand, Take a Hand. They knew that it didn't fit at the time. They probably yeah. just forgot about this one. Or if they'd not written that song, they'd have gone for this Or you've got Marley Put Drive, which is a little bit... Americana. Yeah, yeah so this, this is as well. Yeah. So I can see why it was written down for Otis Redding. It would definitely fit in his style, but we'll carry on with the rumour that it's to love somebody. Mm. For the next couple of songs, we don't really have Bee Gees versions. It's um, sung by other singers. So starting off with Cowman Milk or Cow, as done by Adam Faith. That's it. Well, this is an unusual one for me. And really weird lyric. Strange title for a song that was never going to make, you know, the charts light up with a song called, was it Cow and Milk My Cow or something? I mean, after listening to it two or three times, the tune is quite nice. But it's the lyrics. And where do you go with Cow and Milk My Cow? You struggle, don't you? Yeah. Well, as you said, it's a very pleasant chorus. Yes. I've listened to it a few times. As you just said, if it was with a different title, slight change of lyrics, great melody. It'd be nice if there ever was a version of this song by the Bee Gees, because the one that we were playing was Adam Faith. We weren't sure whether the Bee Gees were there on backing track. I don't think so on this one. They might be on another one. I don't think so. I'll have to have a look on that one. But have you ever heard of Adam Faith? Once or twice, but I couldn't name a song. No. No. Well, I've heard of him. He might be before my time, but... (laughs) I do know that he was renowned for making short songs. I think if he hit two minute mark, that was a long track for him. But I think he was mainly popular, 59, 60, 61, that sort of era. Okay. So to bring out a single in 67, again, I think it's... Like it, Jerry and the Pacemakers. But Jerry, yeah, they're, they're sort of like cabaret people that were given songs, I think. Yeah. I mean, whether this one, I don't know whether it was an Australian song. I'm not 100% sure, but... It's obviously one that they didn't, the Bee Gees didn't want to persevere or any further. Yeah, fair enough. Well, Dad, you said earlier with Mr. Wallace wailing wall, it sounded like Robin had stubbed his toe, but it sounds like this one. She's trapped her foot. <laughs> who, who is it singing? I think they're from Israel. Um, Abby and Esther O'Farron were their husband and wife, I think, but they had a number one with Cinderella Rockefeller. You're the lady, you're the lady that I love. I'm the lady, the lady who... I remember, never heard of it, no. 
Well, you're not missing much. It's uh, it, vocals are me a little bit of Mary Hopkin, that sort of okay. style of yes. thing. Probably a little bit more poppy than what she'd do, but yeah. if you think of again, we get back to Paul McCartney, the brilliant goodbye. I think yeah. all those were the days, but uh, which are far better vocals. So, so does this knowing Cinderella Rockefeller? Does this sound more like that. the Bee Gees writing for them, or does this? Do you think this could be a Bee Gees song? I think it. Might have been just one in their canon that they thought might be that might be suitable for them, or management might have said, "I don't know whether they're on the same record label." I think Poly- they might. Polydor. Yeah, I, don't, I think they're on Phillips. I think because I do have the single, uh, <laughs> another one of them for your sins. One of those uh, singles that I brought, but yeah, yeah. So I think it was a different label. So it might just be they met on the circuit and and, it, and asked if they've got a song that they that they've got. And um, obviously they... But I think, to be fair, it was a B-side. Okay, yeah. Uh, the A-side, the a I did read somewhere. I'll have to dig what it was. Whatever it is, it got to quite high in the German charts. So obviously the Germans must like them. <laughs> Someone has to. <laughs> well, really, that brings us to the end of most of the tracks. The only other... Um, there's another one later to come, but... There was Life, a song called Life, which is a bit of an oddity for well, us. Well, we, we've gone through, We, to be fair, we've, we've references Andrew Sanderville's book, which is a brilliant book. Yeah, and I, it highly de- recommended. Highly re- It details all recording sessions from when the Bee Gees started, right up until 1972. Love to get a second volume, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. And it just goes through every recording, take. It's, it's a brilliant book. Well worth a read if nobody's caught up with it. It's uh, um, it's all the the day by day story. Yes, it nineteen forty five to seventy two, and I think Andrew also did the um, the notes for the reissues as well. Okay, along with I think he did also the three disc Robin's Rain, right? Which is another brilliant release as well. We'll get onto that. Not too far away actually. No, but yeah, what we do know about life, we're unsure as to whether it has. Lyrics. Yes, that that's one of those. It, I mean, as I say, referring to Andrew's book again, it's it's an unissued curiosity, and it said its lyrics are unknown to this day. So again, it's it's a title that's that's intriguing, and even if it's full of nothing, yeah. it's still something you'd like to hear, isn't it? Beyond that, there was only one more track. We did mention it briefly at the beginning, and it's a song from the Australian years. It's Town of Tuxley Toymaker Part One. Well, we'll play a snippet from the song, but we'll talk about our actual thoughts on Town of Tuxley Toymaker when we go through all of the Australian material. Quite interesting that uh, the Bee Gees did this part one twice in their career. Dad, do you know the... What was was that from Size and Everything? Everyth- yeah. I could, could fall in love. Uh, How to fall in love. Yeah, love part one. And they'd never do part two for either of them. But yeah. this one was done by Billy J. Kramer. That's it, yeah. He of early 60s fame again. Yes. I mean, this one's worthy a note. It was the first recording session, beginning of March, that the Bee Gees went into. Mm-hmm. They do sing backing vocals, and then three days later, they then start on New York Mining Disaster. Okay. So it's got a little bit of a link there, whether whether there's any hints of that's why they sing on backing vocals, unless it's an old backing track that he used. Yeah, it could be. I'd imagine that they wanted to go in and test the studio, brought forward whatever song they had on them, and uh, just to try it out. And with that, we come to the end of the midway through 1967 recordings that the Bee Gees have done. 
in the next episode, Horizontal, we'll be catching up with the rest of 67 going into 68. I think this one goes up to about June, July. Yes. Yeah, because they start, it starts overlapping with things like Harry Braff. Yeah, I think they did an early version of that, literally just before releasing this album. Yeah, but we'll go into that in the next episode. Going into concluding thoughts on the album, now that we've gone through it, any changes of opinion on the album, any changes of thoughts? For me, it's a far better album okay. than, I, than I remember. Good. With 20 albums, you, you go, you, you, you play one, and sometimes I put them in the car, and then you go onto another album, another album. I tend not to sort of play an album three or four times on the trot, but with, with doing this, it, it's had its chance to shine. Good. Definitely, as I said at the beginning, for me, it's got four classics. Do you know what they are? Any idea what you think? I I'd would pick? guess New York Mining Disaster. Yeah. To Love Somebody. Yeah. Holiday. Yeah. And um, Can't See Nobody. That's it, spot on. Are you all, have you got three I would, I would agree and say they are objectively the best four on the album. Um, I would perhaps swap Holiday and Can't See Nobody with One Minute Woman and... Um, please Please Me You Like, didn't yeah, you? Please, yeah, Please Read Me. Please Read Me, I yeah. think. Beatles again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would top it with those two. But uh, I share thoughts with you. Fantastic album. A really nice eclectic mix of 14 songs that gives you a, a great taste of the era and of what the Bee Gees are about and what they'd go on to do. And what a talent. I mean, yeah. an undiscovered talent, weren't At they? I 17, mean, 18, 19 years old. I mean, their singles didn't do anything in Australia when they were in Australia, so they're likely to do nothing here. So literally, they've, they've come out a big bang straight into New York Mining Disaster, and then obviously an album to follow. Unfortunately today, I think they're still known for their singles. Yes. Which is a shame, really, because the 60s have some brilliant stuff on there. Because you listen to the radio quite often, Radio 2, BBC Radio 2 in uh, in England. When they play Bee Gees songs, do they often play album tracks that weren't singles? There's one DJ, Steve Wright. He tends to play, he, he's, he likes the Kenny Rogers album. Oh, yes. So there's always tracks nearly every day from the Kenny Rogers album, Eyes That See In The Dark. I look forward to doing that one. Yeah, really and he also one. plays quite a bit of... Not the disco songs, but quite a bit from that era. Not children. The spirits. That's track on spirits haven't flown. Spirits haven't flown. The song, isn't it? Is that a song? That that's the end of side A. Yeah, that's it. That's what he tends to play that a lot. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, but it'd be nice to hear more obscure cuts that we've been going through. Well, yeah, all the time they they rehash these greatest hits, and there's only so many times you buy greatest hits, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I was quite pleased that they released. Last year on Coloured Vinyl, five albums. I think they've been remastered, haven't they? Yes. So it's, it was great to hear that. Um, but it's a shame they didn't come with like a download card. Mm. Yeah, because looking on Spotify, I think they're still keeping with whatever version was before. I don't think they've put that new remastered version on. Yeah. And it'd be nice to fill the gap now that we've had Main Course and Odessa to have the five or six albums in the middle. Yeah. I mean, when they did the reissue in 2006... There was vinyl that came out with that. Right. I didn't buy it because obviously it was all CDs. But I think they are selling for quite a bit of money at the moment. Mm. So it would be quite nice. And whether they... Uh, depends how well these five sold. They obviously went for the disco era. So whether they'll now decide to go for the 60s era and, and obviously leave 70 to 74 ignored again. Yeah. You mentioned that the albums were reissued. Uh, this PG's first was reissued in 2006 and had a vinyl release it's got quite a colorful and poppy design have you ever owned it on a vinyl never had it on vinyl because when i bought it first it was on cd when they were quite easy to get hold of mm-hmm. and again it, it was quite hard but i think that's one of the covers by class foreman yeah under the beatles connection it's quite funny we were saying earlier all about this song sounds like taxman and yet the cover is designed by the same person who designed revolver 
yeah. in black and white, but this one's gone into colour. Yeah. And, and it, colourful it is as well. Really colourful. And a good sleeve. Yes. Dad and I often joke about how far better UK sleeves were at that time compared to, say, Pet Sounds. Oh, yes. That's, that is uh, naff, to say the least. <laughs> but uh, brilliant record, naff cover. Yeah. Whereas right. this one... Great cover and great album. Yeah, which is it's always nice when you've got a great cover to go with a great album. But the thing is with the vinyl, it's like CD's so small, but with that vinyl, you used to take it home, unwrap it, and you could just stare for ages at yeah. the cover. Especially then when gatefolds come out and lyrics. I don't, I've never seen it, so I don't think any lyrics come with this album. I don't think many Bee Gees albums come with lyrics. I don't think lyrics come with albums anyway until sort of late 60s. I may be wrong, but... Uh... Well, we'll find as we get on to discussing the late 70s material, there's lots of songs there that I still sing yeah. along the wrong lyrics to. You and many others. Yeah. You Should Be Dancing. Still don't have a clue. No. Not a clue. Well, I think it wasn't until, I think, the Take That version of How Deep Is Your Love that there were a couple of things, oh, that's what he's singing. Yeah. And Steps did Tragedy. So again, it, it, you hear them, you can hear them a lot clearer. And you say, oh, that's what he's talking about. We've spoken just now about how fantastic the cover design was, but was it a great seller? Well, on the back of New York Mining Disaster, it did really well. In the USA, it was number seven. UK, one behind number eight. And Germany, number four. That's good to hear. Really good to hear. Great, isn't it? As you said before, nothing happening in Australia didn't do anything for them. Coming to England for a first album. First album from an unknown group. Yep. And then considering the second single here, To Love Somebody... Was it was a flop? It's, it, it's just amazing. Well, I remember you telling me when we were researching that was it with the exception of Idea, this was the highest chart since Spirits Having Flown. Yeah, where, where, what position did Spirits reach? Number one. Quite right too. Yeah, yeah, number one. Well, it was it was the height, wasn't it? It was coming to the end of the of that uh, period where he couldn't do nothing wrong. That again, that was number one everywhere, wasn't yeah. it? Good. Now, before we wrap up, I did look at some reviews for this album just to see how it's considered today. And so I tried to have a look at some reviews at the time, but quite difficult to find. I'm hoping that with later albums... Yeah, I mean, you might find something... I mean, at the time, probably Re- New Musical Express. Definitely uh, not The Record Collector. No, definitely not that one. And and, you, and there's probably Record Mirror. Yes. A disc might be, but um, it means you just have to go on the internet. We'll have to look on the internet and just have a, have a look. But yeah. I took a look at Amazon to see the reviews there because I thought... Being Amazon, if people are going to buy the album from there, they're not necessarily all going to be... And it's the general public, isn't it? They're not professional journalists. You know, they're just people that's brought the album, like the album, and... Here's what they think. And on there, it seemed to have, on average, four and a half stars out of five. That's cracking, isn't it? Yeah, really good. Looking on All Music, Bruce Edda says that the group presented themselves as a proficient rock ensemble who'd filled their debut album with a full set of solid, refreshingly original songs. Which it is, isn't it? Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, like, definitely. Really did nice did he give it good marks as well? Similar to Amazon, four stars out of five. Brilliant, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really good. So I think if you look closely, you're not going to be that far off three to four stars out of five. Yeah, and I think it's also telling that Bee Gees' best of, the 1969 compilation, five songs on that were five. Five, was there? yeah. Including my favourite. There's no Jumbo on there. No. Oh, let's have a look. No, I think Jumbo. that was on volume two. Oh, they put in two, didn't they? And Singer... Tomorrow, singer, Tomorrow and stuff like that. Yeah, because that was never on an album. That was a single only. 
And with that, we come to the end of the episode. We hope that you've enjoyed our ramblings on Bee Gees first. Sorry if we have rambled too much, and hopefully not too many ums, ahs, and repeat the same word about five times. <laughs> uh, our next discussion will be on Horizontal, the next studio album. Dad, before we go into that episode, any initial thoughts that you'd like to leave people with for that album? I've got to say, I think it's my favourite of the 60s albums. Fantastic, yeah. It's very, very strong. I'm always torn between Horizontal and Odessa, but I'm sure as we get into this album, I'll rediscover my love for it. Great, well on that note, then shall we leave with another Horizontal deep cut? Thank you for listening to Words, the Bee Gees podcast, presented by Stuart and Cristiano Jepsen. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Words Bee Gees Podcast and on Twitter at Words Bee Gees Pod. Or, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at wordsbeegeespodcast at gmail.com. Hey, hey, hey.